Good morning. We begin with a question today. Amen. How can I be born when I am old? We'll talk about that question today. And the real answer to that is, is that Christ is able. I'm so thankful that you're here today. It's so good to see you. Would you sing with us today? And let's fill this place with worship, God's people praising Him, so that He might inhabit our praise. Stand together and sing, Christ is able.
team sings a new song for some of us and it just is a song that just lifts high the name of the Lord because Nicodemus is asking all kinds of questions today and also I'm so thankful for our pastor is in John chapter 3 that life-changing passage for so many of us today we will see Jesus is the king and he is the only king forever amen you listen as we sing Oh 
sing, Worthy is the Lamb today. Worthy of our praises. And holy, holy, holy is He. I want you to join your heart with mine in our praise team today. And let's lift high the name of Jesus. Because He is the answer. He is the answer today. He's our revelation song today. Amen? Stand together. And let's sing this great song together.
May we pray. Our Father, we do come before you at this hour to praise your holy name, for truly thou art blessed and a blessing to us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your watch care over us each day. And now, Lord, as we come to give unto you the offerings from our heart, we pray that you will bless these offerings for the furtherance of your kingdom and for the sharing of the gospel to the lost. For this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Seems like all I could see was the struggle Haunted by ghosts that lived in my past Bound up in shackles of all my failures Wondering how long is this gonna last Then you looked at this prisoner and said to me, son, stop fighting a fight that's already
What a great testimony and song this morning. Thank you, Marie. And aren't you glad if you are redeemed that you are this morning? Um, it's not always I have Zach by me during worship, but that's always an interesting experience when I do. Um, I was getting to explain all the words that he didn't understand in the songs. Thee, thy, thou, uh, all of those. What's that mean, Daddy? What's it mean to be awestruck? What is that? So I felt like I was giving a theology lesson the whole time we were in that part of the service this morning. We don't think about those things that, that we kind of learn from by rote, but our kids are um, learning those things. I want to give you a little uh, commercial of what's coming tonight. You're going to want to be here at five o'clock this evening, but not in here, over in the sanctuary. Uh, we're going to have a prayer and celebration service at five o'clock over in the sanctuary. This is a unplugged, laid back kind of service. Um, they're coming in tomorrow morning to begin flooring. And so everything's kind of moved out. And what we want to do this evening is go over. We're going to have a couple of songs. I'm going to share a very brief message about our purpose for the evening. And then you're going to have an opportunity. We're going to give you a Sharpie. And you're going to be able to go anywhere on that ground floor of the sanctuary where the concrete is or on the platform where there's plywood or even up in the balcony. If some of you normally sit in the balcony, go to kind of where you sit and write a prayer or a scripture verse or something special to you and to pray for that space as we prepare to go in there in a couple of months. And uh, you might want to walk, you might want to write like at an entrance of a doorway a prayer as people come into the sanctuary or things like that. So I encourage you to be here at five o'clock tonight. You're going to want to come in the back doors of the sanctuary like if you're coming from the education space. Don't come from the main street side. All that's going to be locked because there's a lot of stuff out in the foyer and a lot of construction going on out there. So come in through the back. At 5 o'clock, we'll get started. Kevin's going to lead us in a couple of songs. We'll have that prayer time. And then when we finish there, we'll dismiss over to Team Kid and Bible Drill and Act Teens and all the other things that happen. And the adults will go over to the chapel for the In the Meantime testimony study if you were part of those home groups. So it's going to be a great afternoon. Uh, so we were laughing this morning. Two services in the morning, two services at night too. Wow. But uh, it's going to be a wonderful time. You'll want to be here at 5 o'clock this evening. It's going to be a very special time. That's what the sanctuary looks like as of... Uh, did you take that yesterday, Thomas, or this morning, early this morning? That's what it, that's what it looks like. Uh, so you're going to want to come over there and, and see it. It's exciting to see it coming together. Uh, this morning, I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word uh, to John chapter 3. As Kevin said, we're looking at this story of Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus, which is one of the most famous stories probably in the gospel of John. And it always is one that captures me and I hope it captures you. I've preached on it before, even here, almost this same message six years ago. Um, but as I came upon it again and was doing some new reading this week and reflecting upon it, it just struck me again at how wonderful it is for God to uh, speak to people's hearts. And even after the service this morning, during the first service, there was a young lady talking about knowing that she needs to, to trust Christ and to follow through. So be prayer, praying for her that she'll kind of close the deal with the Lord uh, this week on that. Um, but I want us to pray this morning as we begin that, that all of the distractions would be just eliminated and we'd be able to hear from the Lord this morning. So let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning and we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for these encounters that you had with people that are recorded for us forever that we might see and uh, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day that um, those who are living in spiritual darkness would move to spiritual light, that, Lord, they would come out of that and they would see the difference between night and day. 
Lord, speak to us is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Nicodemus had waited for this moment. He had waited for evening, for darkness, for the uninterrupted hours, the unhurried hours. And he had waited patiently for them. And now he had his chance to meet with Jesus personally and privately. Uh, John records the story this way. He says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In the daytime and every day, Nicodemus did what religious Jewish professionals did. He deliberated God. He discussed reaching God, he discussed pleasing God, he discussed how to appease God, and every moment of Nicodemus' day was all about God and man's pursuit of God. Nicodemus, you see, was a Pharisee, and Pharisees knew all about God and all that we can do to please God. They were arguably the best people in the whole country, if not the whole world. Uh, the Pharisees were really good, meaning they kept the law to the finest of minutiae, even to all the extra minutiae they had added to the law through all of the years. There was no fudging, there was exact perfection, and they did it. Somehow they did it, or at least they told everyone that they did. A lot of the Pharisees were hypocrites, and Jesus called those who were to the carpet but Nicodemus doesn't seem to be one of those hypocritical Pharisees. In fact, Nicodemus seems to be one of those who really did keep the law to the exact minutiae. He was a good man and really few were better than he. In fact, Nicodemus was one of the best Pharisees. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council known as the Sanhedrin, which is a group of the best of the best. Pharisees. And so when Nicodemus walked through town, people said, he's a good man. And even though Nicodemus was a good man, he still wanted everything God had to offer him. And I think that Nicodemus saw something in Jesus that made him wonder if there could be more. If there could be more in his walk with God. Notice as Nicodemus approaches Jesus that he has respect for Jesus. He's not come to accuse Jesus. He's not come to argue with Jesus. He's not come to debate Jesus. He's come to have an uninterrupted private audience with Jesus. And we know Nicodemus respected Jesus because he addresses him as rabbi. And that was a term of great respect in the Jewish world. To call someone a rabbi was an extraordinary compliment because rabbis were the best trained they were the most skillful of all the Jewish teachers. And so here this Pharisee, this member of the Sanhedrin, addresses Jesus as rabbi, even though as far as we know, Jesus didn't even have any um, special formal education. But yet Nicodemus gives him this title of respect in rabbi. Jesus may have not been an accredited teacher by the Pharisees, but Nicodemus realized that Jesus' accreditation came from a higher power. For he says, we know you are a teacher sent from God. Jesus had the ultimate authority. Now, as we 
began to see Jesus, uh, Nicodemus noticed that something was special about him. He, he noticed Jesus possessed something that, that no one else had. Like there was uh, something that he needed to know more about. And so even though Nicodemus was a good man, he wanted to know more about Jesus. And so he comes at night. And he comes to find out that even though he was a very good man, there is a big difference in being good and being saved. And in fact, the difference between being good and saved is as different as, 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 different as night and day. You'll remember that as we began this series in John, I told you that throughout this gospel, John has people encounter Jesus and there are three questions that kind of lay behind these scenes of Jesus encountering people. And those questions are, Jesus, who are you? Jesus, what do you offer? Jesus, how do I get it? And these three questions play into Nicodemus's encounter with Jesus. The first question, Jesus, who are you? You know, Nicodemus was a man of position. He was a man of clout. He was a man of high standing and credentials. But he had questions. And this question, Jesus, who are you, was paramount. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher sent from God for no one could do the kind of miraculous signs that you're doing if God were not with him. That statement we know is interesting because it lets us know that no doubt Jesus had been the subject of many a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Probably ever since the day when Jesus cleared out the temple, which happened in the previous chapter, but we know there was a little bit of time in between, Jesus had been a topic maybe every day for those members of the Sanhedrin. And they were discussing him. But one thing they knew is that he was a teacher. And it's interesting that he says, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. Some of the men surely spoke ill of Jesus. Some of them, though, like I think Nicodemus probably did, sat there and just kind of took it all in, wondering what this was all about, thinking of questions. And that's why Nicodemus goes to Jesus on this particular night. You know, even though Nicodemus's words in verse 2 are a statement, I can't help but hear the desire for a question even in them. He says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. But, I hear like an unspoken, unwritten but. But, dot, 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 question mark. And I, I think Jesus heard that question in his voice too because Jesus jumps in and he steers the conversation. Notice Nicodemus is kind of saying, Jesus, who are you? But Jesus, God, Jesus is going to steer the, the question away from Nicodemus's questions to what do you offer? Look at verse 3. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born Again, it seems like a total shift, but what Jesus is doing is he's steering the conversation now in a direction that Jesus wants Nicodemus to go. Because Nicodemus was in a quest after knowledge, and Jesus wants to steer him to an experience of faith. You know, it's easy to get bogged down in knowing all about Jesus. You could read and study and know all that there is to know about Jesus. And Nicodemus came that night wanting to know more about Jesus, to get his questions answered. But what he really needed 
was not just to know about Jesus. Really, he needed to know Jesus. He needed a personal relationship. Knowledge is one thing, but a relationship through faith is an entirely different thing. And it's the most important thing. You can have knowledge about Jesus in your head and never have faith about Jesus in your heart. And Jesus wanted Nicodemus to have both of those. To have knowledge in his head, yes, but to have faith in his heart. He wanted to bring them together. And so Jesus throws Nicodemus a bit of a curveball. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Well, what is this born again business? Well, Jesus in, intentionally throws this curveball to Nicodemus because he wanted Nicodemus to realize two things. First was, Jesus wanted Nicodemus to realize that he was not going to enter the kingdom of God simply because of his natural birth. You see, the Jews felt like, you're born a Jew, you're a member of the people of God. You get the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus would have never thought for a moment that he was not going to see the kingdom of God because he was a Jew. And so Jesus says, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And that threw a curveball into Mr. Jewish Nicodemus's life. But the second reason that Jesus threw this curveball is not only so Nicodemus would realize that just being born a Jew is not enough, but second, being a good Jew is not enough. Nicodemus was the best of the best. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's the member of the Sanhedrin. He is Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. But Jesus says, unless any man's born again, he will not enter the kingdom of God. Even a good Jew. Now, Jesus, uh, Nicodemus could have accepted it had Jesus said, Unless he be born again, a Gentile cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus would have had no questions. He would have understood that completely. But saying a Jew, more than that, a Pharisee, more than that, a member of the Sanhedrin needed to be born again just didn't make sense. And that's exactly why Jesus said it. To get Nicodemus' attention, and he does get it. For in verse 4, Nicodemus asks, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. I mean, Jesus, have you had biology class? Have you seen my mom? Have you seen me? I'm not going to be able to be born again. There's no way. I was a big baby when I was born, but I'm a man now. So Jesus has him, right? And so Jesus now explains I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. See, Nicodemus was all hung up on the physical while Jesus was talking about the spiritual. Jesus is making a point, and here's the point. Birth is a passive act for the one being born. In birth, the baby does nothing. The mom does everything. Right, mamas? Yes. <laughs> Our spiritual life is like that. 
When it comes to salvation, we do nothing. God does everything. Salvation is by grace through faith. What we do is trust God, receive what he's already done, and he takes care of the salvation. But this went against Nicodemus's thinking. Because Nicodemus's philosophy was give God your best and then God does the rest. But Jesus responds basically, Nicodemus, your best won't do. Your works don't work. Your best is still a mess. And when you mess up, it doesn't do any good just to cry, oh, my bad, and go for a do-over. Because there could never be enough do-overs to bring you up to God's best. You can't do it on your own. We cannot save ourselves. And that's why we've got to look beyond the natural to the supernatural. Exactly what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to do here. We live and think so much in the natural that we find God's supernatural a little confusing. We wind up looking at Christianity as a religious code, a bunch of do's and don'ts, a bunch of regulations Instead of a supernatural relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so many people miss what a relationship with the Lord is all about because of this. Like Nicodemus, people focus on the physical. If we talk about being born again, people immediately switch the conversation to physical matters. They'll say, well, I'm, I, I go to church. Or I went to church with my grandma growing up. Or I'm a good man. Or I'm a good woman. Or I'm a good dad. Or a good mom. I pour into my family. Or I work hard at my job. But all of that has nothing to do with salvation. It's just work, work, work. I'm a good man doesn't matter. I'm a good woman doesn't matter. Good won't get it. Your works won't work. Your best is still a mess. This is Nicodemus. The best of the best. Better than any of us have ever been probably. And he's still needing to be born again. We've got to get beyond the physical and look at the supernatural. But we have such a problem with that. And so Jesus explains that you can't achieve the kingdom of God. You've got to receive it just as a baby receives life in this world as it is born. So we too must be born again. So these questions are being answered. Jesus, who are you? I'm the savior of the world. Jesus, what do you offer I offer salvation. And yet still Nicodemus asks in verse 9, how can this be? Nicodemus struggles. He was looking for knowledge when he should have been exercising faith. And he was so interested in asking questions that he couldn't receive the answers. And so he was in kind of the dead center of moving forward. He, he, he needed somebody to help him get off of that. And so Jesus is there to help him get off of dead center and move forward. And so we look at verse 10. Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. And we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. 
Since Nicodemus doesn't get what Jesus is talking about, Jesus takes him to a story that he would know about, just an illusion in verse 14. But it's one that Nicodemus would have known well. It's a story that's in the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In fact, Numbers chapter 21. And that story, the uh, Israelites, Hebrews, are griping at Moses once again. They're in the wilderness wanderings. They're struggling with what they're supposed to do. And they're griping and saying, oh, wasn't it great back in slavery in Egypt? Oh, I wish we could just go back. Those were the days. And as they're complaining, God does something that he often does in the Old Testament. He gets a little creative with his discipline. And instead of doing some of the things he'd done before, he decides he's going to send snakes into them. So all these poisonous snakes come into uh, the camp. And just as a side note, I hope God never decides to punish me with a bunch of snakes. Um, but he does do this. All these snakes come in. People get bitten. They're dying. So finally, of course, they repent. They call out to God. Whoa, God, we're sorry. And so God tells Moses what to do. He says, make an image of a snake. Put it on a stake and put it up in the camp. And if anyone looks at that image of the snake who's been bitten, they will be healed. And that becomes a wonderful, powerful picture of what Jesus would do on the cross. The snake, he didn't take a snake itself, the sin itself, or the picture, he took a symbol of the snake. It represented the snake. Jesus would go to the cross, not because he was sinful, he was not the sin himself, but he took the sin on himself. So that anybody who was bitten, anybody who was sinful, anyone who was lost, which is everybody, could look to him and be healed, could be saved. And so Jesus gives this picture to Nicodemus now, saying, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus makes the point very clear. By foreshadowing the cross. Nicodemus didn't have a clue about the cross. But Jesus is foreshadowing it. And we, we, we certainly can't miss it. Everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So Jesus, who are you? I'm the savior of the world. Jesus, what do you offer? I offer salvation. Jesus, how do I get it? You look to me and believe in me. And now with that all in mind, we're ready for that passage that so many of us know in this. John 3.16. In fact, let's quote it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The first service had like King James and NIV going. It sounded like we were all at least on whatever version that was we just did. It's probably a combination of about three. But when we say that verse, we, I learned that as a little bitty kid. Max Lucado in his book 316 says, uh, John 316 is a 26-word parade of hope, beginning with God, ending with life, and urging us to do the same. Brief enough to write on a napkin or memorize in a moment, yet solid enough to weather 2,000 years of storm and questions. If you know nothing of the Bible, start here. If you know everything in the Bible, return here. You know, when we quote John 3.16, we have little kids that quote it who really haven't grasped all that means for them. They've learned it in Sunday school, but maybe they haven't trusted Jesus Christ. 
And then we have people in their 90s who quote it, who've been believers longer than many of us have been alive, and they know all about it. They know exactly what it means. And that's the wonderful thing about this verse. It's such a powerful verse. We say it so often, we can repeat it almost as a cadence. But we need to stop and reflect upon it. I came across this that someone wrote years ago. For the greatest reason for divine love, God, the original source of love, so the greatest degree of love, loved the greatest emotion of love, the world, the greatest object of love, that the greatest relation of love, he gave the greatest expression of love, his only begotten son, the greatest gift of love, that the greatest demand of love, whosoever the greatest recipients of love, believes in him, the greatest response to love, should not perish, the greatest deliverance of love, but the greatest alternative of love, have the greatest possession of love, everlasting, the greatest quality and extent of love, life, the greatest fruit of love. It's the greatest of everything. And what Nicodemus had to realize was that Jesus loved him, God loved him, and that love was not based on what he did or didn't do, how many times he said his prayers, how active he was at the temple, what kind of minutia of the law he kept, whether or not he tied a knot on the Sabbath or not. That love was based in relationship. We don't love in the abstract, we love in relationship. And so Jesus wanted Nicodemus to realize that He didn't love Nicodemus because he was a Pharisee or because he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Jesus loved Nicodemus because he was Nicodemus, period. And he loves you too. That word whoever is a big word. It is all-encompassing. Not just Jews, not just perfect Pharisees, but you And me, not just pretty people or rich people, not just people who seem to have it all together and who go to church all the time. Jesus loves you. Not just women and children, but men as well. Not just white people, but black people and Asian people and Hispanic people, all people. Jesus loves everyone so that whosoever would come to him. And he loves whoever, whenever, whenever you come, he's there. Not just here, but at your house. Not just here, but in your car. Anywhere you come to him, he is there. He loves whoever, whenever. He loves them, whatever you've done. Some people might say, Jesus could never love me because I've done da 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 But he loves you just as he loves Nicodemus. He loves a person that we would say, wow, that's a real reprobate just as much as he loves a goody-two-shoes Nicodemus. And you know something else? The reprobate and the goody-two-shoes Nicodemus both need Jesus in the same way. Because neither of them are going to get to heaven without Jesus. It's essential for salvation. And so Jesus comes and He loves whoever, whenever, whatever. And that's because he takes care of salvation himself. Salvation doesn't require muscles. It requires a miracle. It doesn't require the muscles of our work. It requires the miracle of Jesus paying the cost for our sins on the cross and being raised on the third day. We're hopeless without him. 
Look at verses 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. And you have a choice. You can believe on his name and be saved, or you cannot believe and condemn yourself. Christ came to save. He wants you to accept him as your savior. He wants to fulfill the role that he prefers to give in your life. And that is savior. His judgment is only opposed to those who reject his salvation. If you choose to not believe in him, then you will perish. And that perishing happens, as the Bible tells us, in hell. And hell is real. And it's bad. It's not a reform school. It's not even a prison. It's not a correctional facility. It's not a place you eventually get out of. It is hell. And it's forever. And there's no other place like it. I like how Max Lucado says it. He says, hell's members hear no spirit of God, no voice of God, no voice of God's people. You spend a lifetime telling God to be quiet and he'll do just that. For all eternity. Look at verses 19 through 21. This is the verdict. Light is coming to the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We're hearing now this prologue of John coming back into Jesus' statements. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. According to Christ, if you continue to refuse his offer, it's because you just don't want the friendship with God. You apparently either like sin and want to stay there, or you think that your sin is so bad that you can't come out of the light because people might see that it's really there. But whatever the case is, Jesus offers forgiveness. He offers redemption. He wants to bring you into the light, from the darkness into the light. And that's what Nicodemus had to decide for himself. Now this passage doesn't really tell us whether Nicodemus did or didn't follow Christ. The next verse just jumps off into another story which we'll look at next week. So what happened with Nicodemus? Well, the cool thing is we have the rest of the Gospel of John and as you read through, then later on you find Nicodemus appearing again and he's helping Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus' body. And that act seems to tell us that if the Jewish religious authorities had just crucified Jesus, it doesn't make sense that one of them would then turn around and bury Jesus unless he was sympathetic to Jesus. And so it seems by all accounts that Nicodemus became a follower of Jesus and he walked with him. He believed. He came to understand the answer to those important questions. Jesus, who are you? I'm the Savior. Jesus, what do you offer? Salvation. Jesus, how do, I, how do I get it? You look to me. And Nicodemus came out of the darkness and into the light. And that's what we have to do. And so I ask you today, have you come from the darkness into the light? Have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and established a personal relationship with him. 
If not, I'd encourage that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the time when you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that, Jesus, that, that I need you to cover my sins. And I know that you died on the cross and that if I look to you believing that you do save me. And you can do that here. You can do that at home. But I'd encourage you to not leave here today without doing that. This is an important time. It's a time to do business with God. And so let's pray and bow our heads and seek the Lord now as we prepare to have our time of invitation. Lord, we come before you this morning and we ask God that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to know for sure this moment whether we have a personal relationship with you and help none of us to leave this room today without having that settled. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you love us. Thank you for the way that you made a way for us to be saved. We pray that this would be our day of salvation, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.